All right, so second grade. It's getting pretty close. Have you picked out your stoom yet? Your costume? Your stoom? Come on, man, that's a thing. Yeah? Yeah? All right, what do we got? What do we got? Call it out. Please, just shout it out. I can hear multiple voices at once. Pikachu, Pikachu love it. Go ahead, sir. Ooh, scary. Like it. Nice. I want to sit next to your parents. Nice, nice. Go for it. Oh, like a zombie. Wonderful. Yes. Oh, yeah. What do we got? That's what I'm talking about over here. Nice, nice. You know what, friends? Go ahead and tell your person sitting next to you what you're going to wear. Go ahead. And now switch the topic. What about Halloween movies that you got to watch during Halloween? Tell your friend, tell your neighbor, tell your neighbor. What has it got to be? Yep, yep. All right, now listen to this. I was reading an article. It was on the internet and said, there are 31 movies you got to watch during Halloween. So I'm cruising through the list and I'm looking and I'm nodding in agreement, you know, when you're doing that thing. And I'm like, Charlie Brown and the Great Pumpkin, mm -hmm. Ghostbusters, Hocus Pocus, Beetlejuice, Gremlins, Hook, Scream, Sleepy Hollow. And then I stopped and I was like, what? Hook? The Peter Pan movie? Um... Is there an explanation for what? There was nothing. So I do that thing where you, like, you look at your phone, you look at the ceiling, you roll your head. And then I was like, Trevor, you really got to be checking the source of these BuzzFeed articles that you're reading because this is clearly nonsense. I mean, I love Hook just as much as the next guy. And who among us hasn't gone down to the van skate park and yelled, Rufio, when they're doing like that cool stuff? But a Halloween movie, that's a stretch. But I did watch it. And I get it now because the love for family is more important than anything else. Life is personal. We got to be there for each other. We can't just send an assistant to dress up and walk your kid around the street. Sometimes you have to put on a costume as an adult to build your relationships with your children. And so because I love my family so much, I was about to pull the trigger on an actual Etsy cosplay Ant-Man, see how it all ties together, costume with a sweet helmet, had the little buttons that you click. I was going to get the toddler suit for my baby so that I could be like standing in one place, press the buttons, jump, and then my baby would be there and she would look like tiny because, you know, Ant-Man. And then my wife walks in and says, check it out, baby's cookie monster, you're Oscar the Grouch. <laughs> but life is supposed to be personal. Life's supposed to be personal, all parts of it, right? The language that we speak to one another, our friends, our family, flowers, vegetables, everything, even God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's supposed to be personal. And when any part of life is formulated into uh, generalization or established like just a, a project or you reduce life to a cause, that destroys life. It, it's diminishing it. And when we quit being personally present to our child, to our spouse, to our friends, life leaks out. And if we fail to be kind to a stranger, we block that chance at life. When we withdraw from a conversation, we block the flow of life. When we're indifferent to the beauty, no matter how small they are, to the things around us, we miss out on life and seeing the glory of God. You know, Jesus is our primary revelation that God is personal. One person 
entering into history and time, one God-man. And we see just how personal God is. We could look at creation and say, yes, there's got to be a God. Look at how everything is designed. Look how amazing it is. But in Jesus Christ, we see clearly who God is, how much God loves us, and how personally known we are by God himself. And when we deal with God, we're, we're dealing not with some spiritual principle, right, or some just religious idea, ethical cause, mystical feeling. We're dealing with Jesus Christ, the one who walked among us, the great high priest. Everything that we know about God, his character, his love, we know through Jesus. Because Jesus was a living, breathing, eating bread and fish, drinking water and wine, speaking and listening human. During Christmas time, we're going to learn all about the family that Jesus was born into. We're going to see Jesus weep, get angry, touch those who are sick, bleed, because he is present totally, relationally, and intimately. That is the God that we have. And so as a church, we're looking at these keystone habits, right, to pursue in our discipleship, community, scripture, prayer, worship. We find that all of these habits are rooted in a relationship and a personalness that comes and is found in Jesus. And in a very radical, crazy, biblical revelation, we find out that we don't become more like Jesus by becoming less human, less personal, less physical, or less emotional, or less involved. Let me say that again. We don't become more spiritual by becoming less human. Can't get closer to God by removing yourself from personal relationships. And in the Gospel of Luke, there's this beautiful bunch of stories from chapters 10 to 18 of Jesus traveling through Samaria. And right before he sends out his 72 disciples, the song that we just sang about, right? This is what they're rejoicing and they come back. They've been healing all these demons and casting, healing people and casting out demons. And Jesus says, now I don't rejoice in that. Rejoice in that your name is written. But before he sends them, he tells them this story about the Good Samaritan. Anybody know this story? The Good Samaritan, remember this parable, right? Jesus, he's telling the story, and there's a man, he gets beat up, right? Am I telling it right? And then who passes by? Go ahead, shout it out. That's right, a couple of guys, a Levi, uh, 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 like a, a priest, and then a stranger comes by. And what does the stranger do? Shout it out, you don't have to reach it. He helps them, that's right. Jesus teaches us that everyone is supposed to be our neighbor. He breaks down all these different barriers. When we try to create stereotypes or want nothing to do with someone because of their, I don't know, race, their morals, their socioeconomic status, where we try to dehumanize them so that we don't have to deal with them and then can pick who our neighbor is and love the way we want to, Jesus says, nah, that's not the way. You must be neighbors to all. And then in a very fantastic way, he moves us from relationships with our neighbors to relationships with God. And he does that in prayer. And if we depersonalize people by stereotyping them, we depersonalize God when we generalize him. If we think of God as just an idea or some force or dogma, it's real easy not to love an idea or a force or a dogma. We basically are removing the whole idea that we are to love God. 
We can acknowledge God. We can respect God. We can consider God. We can defend God. We can study God. But we're called to be in relationship with God. And so in this text that we're going to look at, which is a pretty familiar text, I bet your children could speak this text to you. Jesus immerses us in a way of language that keeps us thoroughly and absolutely personal when it comes to approaching God. And he does this in prayer. So I'm going to skip a little ahead here. Uh, Christopher, will you throw up the text from Matthew chapter 6? Now you're going to see something here that was absolutely radical. Jesus teaches us to pray personally and gives us a radical invitation to see God as our Father. In this prayer, Jesus makes God your Father. In an even more radical way, he establishes prayer in a very plural sense. To unite each one of us in prayer, to unite each one of us as children of God, and to unite each one of us in heart and mind. God as Father was a radical idea because it was never taught before. And that's not just to the Jews. It would have been radical to all who heard it because it implies that your relationship with God is based on love and not something that is impersonal. Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, and we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. When this prayer is found in Luke, just like it was here in Matthew, it's the only time in the Gospels that the disciples ask Jesus to teach them something. Jesus taught daily. Fields, synagogues, temples, you name it. The disciples saw it, and they saw what he was doing. But the one time they sat down and said, teach us something, they didn't ask for how to get more followers. They didn't ask to, how to make the waves be still. They said, prayer. Teach us how to pray. Because they saw that in Jesus' prayer, the way they saw Jesus praying, it was cultivating this relationship with God that was like nothing else. And that's what they wanted, a relationship with the Father. And I don't know if I've ever thought about prayer that way before. Friends, when we pray, we are in the very presence of God. He is listening. We come to Him and sit with Him. In prayer, He holds us. He allows us to vent to Him, to praise Him, to cry before Him, to ask Him. The disciples saw Jesus praying this way and wanted that wanted to live and work out of that God-personal, God-relational, God-love way of living the way Jesus did it. And that's what they wanted instruction and training in, in prayer. And Jesus didn't tell them, sorry, it's impossible to have or send them to school and say, you've got to learn this. He just gave them that prayer. What was it, 57 words? Took us 22 seconds to read it? And that was it. The students will tell you, if you want to learn something, you've got to go to school, don't you? You've got to learn to read. You've got to learn to count. You've got to learn how to find things. Then you get tested on it. And then if it's really, really complex, it takes more than just a day. You've got to learn it for two days. Have you ever had a lesson that was three days? Four days? Five days? Two weeks? A whole month? Get out of here. Oh, you guys must be so smart. 
But how interesting is it that Jesus takes this prayer and teaches us not in that way of the classroom, but in a way that you would teach a child to walk. I didn't sit my little daughter Millie down and be like, okay, here's what you're going to do. This is the physics of walking. As you can see, your knee is going to bend and the ankle's going to touch. I just said, picked her up and I said, look, watch how I do it. You do it. And then she did it. No, just kidding. It took a while. That took the month. But we got to be engaged in the action, surrounded by people doing it. There's a reason we come together as the body of Christ to pray. Look again what it says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The emphasis in this prayer is relationship. God is our Father. God is the creator of all things. We are the family. A personal relationship because we call him Father. But at the same time, we remember that he is holy. And yet it's personal. And our means that we're in it together, never alone, in a relationship with him and in a relationship one with another. Look at the next. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is realigning our heart in prayer, realigning it to the heart of God, connecting us to the Father by us asking the Father to do what he's already doing and make us aware of it. To be excited for God's kingdom, God's agenda, God's glory, his name, his will. This is where I ask you, whose agenda and glory are you living for? Think about this in another way. If you think about the amount of time and energy that you put into at work for whatever the agenda is, that company you're working for, their goals or your classroom goals or your small business's priorities, think about how much energy you put into that. Because in this prayer, we're not saying just words for the sake of speaking. We're asking God to give us that energy to do for Him. Friends, the opposite of this prayer drives us away from a relationship with God in others. The opposite of this prayer says, my kingdom come, my will be done. How I want it, let it be done everywhere. It's not supposed to be like that. And in prayer, we're invited into the way it's supposed to be, the relationship we're supposed to have. See, prayer's not about getting God to do something that we think needs done, but to become aware of what God is doing and then to participate in it. Prayer becomes the discipline of learning not to act until God starts acting. We're doing this study and we're seeing how these habits aren't about us, even though we're the ones trying to do them. They're about Christ Jesus, Christ who is the vine and establishes the community, Christ who speaks to us his word and encourages, Christ who we come to in prayer. Jesus wants us to pray with the desire that the will of God would be done on earth. When we get to heaven, there's going to be no disobedience, no obstacles. But here on earth, there is plenty of disobedience and a lot of obstacles to God's will. And because of that, he came down and did more than just pray this prayer and teach us to pray this prayer, but he lived this prayer. It was Jesus in the garden who's sweating drops of blood because he knew what was coming said, not my will be done, Lord, but yours. 
He removes the obstacles, the disobedience that would separate us from God because He is our way maker, making our way to the Father. He is the miracle worker who takes us individuals and unites us together. He is the promise keeper who says, whatever it is that I have spoken, I will do. And he spoke at your baptism and your baptism and said, you belong to me no matter what. You are mine. That is the will that we pray to be done. God's will, that the things of heaven, the things of life and salvation would be brought down to us, and they are in Jesus Christ. So it's no wonder that he concludes it with this beautiful part that says, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because we're supposed to depend on our Father to give what we need. Notice what it says, daily bread, day by day, a simple trust in God, a complete trust to depend on him for life and every piece of it. To depend on our Father to forgive us for the wrong that we have done and in response to forgive the ones who wrong us. To depend on the Father not to tempt us because we know in James 1 that God tempts no one. But when the testing comes because of this broken world we live in, we know that He will be with us to deliver us, to sustain us. So we may ask, yes, spare us from those trials, that suffering. But friends, we live in a broken world and sometimes we'll still go through it, but never alone. And anyone who has ever faced trials or temptations will tell you the importance of prayer through those times. Because it's in the hard times that we learn this valuable truth, that prayer must be the first thing we do, not the last resort. Because prayer is all about relationship with the Father. Father not about having to get the words right or hoping that we don't get called on to pray out loud. It's not about manipulating God by being on my best behavior and then praying to Him or trying to get the words to make it say so that I'll trick Him into giving. Nah, prayer is relationship, friends. It is exceedingly and unendingly personal. So if you're taking something away today, looking to put something into practice in regard to your own prayer life. I hope it will be just what the disciples wanted to do, to seek out a relationship with the Father like the, Jesus did. I'm going to invite the, bear, the band back up here right now. Because if you want to be changed, let's not forget that a changed you and I began with what Christ Jesus did, what he did at the cross, what he does for us in baptism and at his table how he speaks to us in his word, but that life of being changed must be connected and continue in prayer. Change in a deeper relationship with the Father continues in prayer. And you'll find that as you pray, sometimes your situation will change. Sometimes the things around you will change. But what will change the most when you pray is you. Because you will learn that prayer is less about you and more about Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you have given us this intimate gift of prayer. 
When the Apostle Paul listed spiritual gifts like preaching and speaking and helping and serving, he did not mention prayer because prayer is not something that only some of us can do, but is something that each one of us do. So Lord, I pray that for each person in here, you would strengthen them in prayer. That when they don't know the words to say, that they would be reminded that the spirit that you have put inside them groans and already goes to the Father. That the words of Scripture teach us how to pray. I pray that you would fill them with your will, with the desire to know you more. so that they could experience the relationship that you have created for us in prayer. I pray that they would pray unceasingly. Whatever petition, request, anything, Lord, that they would present it to you who is the God who loves, the God who sees, and the God who hears. So bless them, Father. Keep them rooted in you, rooted in prayer. We pray this in Jesus' name.